0: Before we dive in, let me say, uh, there, I, I mentioned a few weeks ago that sometimes you read something in the Bible and, and then it sort of hits you in a new way and you realize, oh, this is like, this is what Jesus thinks and this is what I think and they're not the same. And then what do you do? We're like, we sort of like, Jesus thinks this is a bigger deal than I do kind of thing. Um, and uh, at those moments, I want to encourage you, that means you're listening, okay? Because you're never going to reach this place where you're like, well, Right, there was actually a study done years ago, and people were like list all the things that you care about. Okay, so there was like a stu- bunch of students. They listed all these things they cared a lot about. Now list all the things that God cares about, and they were all the same every time. It's like, so basically, you like to create God in your own image. Like that's you see that's the idea. So let's do our best not to do that. Let's do the, our best to like when when something in Scripture confronts us and convicts us that we don't try to like turn that and put it into our thing anyway. Um, that's a, that's a temptation that we might all have, um, and, and sometimes you get like, you, you, you're so sure something means one thing, and then you look at it more closely, and you're like, oh my goodness, I've been wrong about this whole thing, so that's what happened to me. Anyway, here's the parable. You ready? Okay, let's do it. It's the parable, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Let's read it. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Um, early in the morning to hire laborers, by the way. We're probably talking about 6 a.m.-ish, okay? He's he's a wealthy man, so he jumps in his pickup, and he goes down to the marketplace where everybody's assembled. These are day laborers, okay? They're all hoping to get hired for the day, and so he goes, I want you, 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 you. So he hires them uh, early in the morning. Um, After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, that's how much I'm going to pay you, you're in, good. Jump in the back. He sent them into the vineyard. And going about the third hour, the third hour, this would be about 9 a.m., okay? He saw others standing idle in the marketplace. He decided he'd need more workers, right? So he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I'll give you, okay? So he, gets, he hires some more guys. Then they went. Going out again about the sixth hour, so now we're like at noon, and the ninth hour, he did the same. 3 p.m., in about 12 hours of daylight, they work from about 6 to 6, okay? Yeah, 3 p.m., these guys are still at the, the market, and he says, here, you guys jump in the pickup, and you're going you're to work for me too. Uh, keep going. And about the 11th hour, what time are we at now? Are you keeping track? 5 o'clock, okay? He's got like another hour before the sun goes down. It's already getting a little dim. He went uh, out and found others standing, and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one's hired us. These last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. They all received a denarius, which is what he promised the first guys. Um, Finally, he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose and what belongs to, uh, w- uh, with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. The word of the Lord. Here we have this parable and this very interesting story. And this is a funny one because you read it and it pushes all of our socioeconomic buttons. And everybody wants to jump in and, and, and have a tug of war over Jesus. You know our culture does a tug-of-war over Jesus? Here, I'm going to give you a little clue here. Jesus is not your ism or your ist. You might read this and say, see, Jesus is a socialist. No, he's not. (laughs) Or you might say, whoa, yeah, he's definitely not a socialist because look what he said to the business owner. He said, it's my money. I can do with it whatever I want. See, he's a free market capitalist. Boom. Okay, stop." You need to stop with this. The kingdom of God is really big and really old, and it's going to go on forever and ever. Our current debates about such things, and they are important, don't get me wrong, and I think there's answers to them. But we're in a very, we're just like a sliver in history right now. These are all brand new conversations, really, in the, in the ways that we're having them. So it's, it's a really silly thing to try to pull Jesus into your camp. Jesus is not in... Your can- you know what? You know what I, I think is a better picture. You remember when Joshua was about to go into Jericho, and he sees the angel, and the angel's like decked out in like war paint, and he's like, <laughs> he just looks awesome. He's got camouflage and <laughs> a bazooka, and, all, and, and he says, he sees him. He's like, whoa, sweet. And he goes, are you for us or our enemies? <laughs> it's funny. And the angel says, what? Are you serious right now? That's in the Hebrew. That's the deep Hebrew. He says that. (laughs) (laughs) He says, neither, you moron. I'm for the armies of the living God. So the question for us ought to be, what side are we on? Because he's not going to go, oh, I see you guys. I'm with you. I'm going to step in this box today. Yeah. So all of our current, you know, political, economic debates, again, I'm not saying they're not important. I have opinions on those things, too. But we can't put him in that box. Don't stuff him. Don't try to put this parable in that discussion because it's not there. This parable is not about economics. Okay, are you with me? Jesus is not your ist or your ism. Let's just remember that. Okay, we, so what is it about? Well, here's what I always thought it was about. I thought it was about the 11th hour, like the thief on the cross. Here's a great story. You remember the thief on the cross story probably. Jesus is crucified, not by himself, but with two criminals in between them. And everyone's mocking Jesus. Jesus has has all the attention of everybody here. And while he is dying, and these two are dying next to him, one of them starts joining the crowd in deriding Jesus. And the other one's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you're dying, you wanna go out this way? That's also in the, that's that's a deep Greek right there. Um, And he says, look, You and I are getting what we deserve. He couldn't point because his arms were up. But you and I are getting what we deserve. Like, he has done nothing wrong. We're getting what we deserve. And then he turns to Jesus and says, Remember me when you go to your kingdom. And what does Jesus say? Okay, I will. You will be with me in paradise today. So, the 11th hour. Like, that is shocking. This guy was probably a murderer. He's, he's like admitting, oh, dude, pff, yeah, I, I'm guilty. I deserve to be here. Like, I have done terrible, terrible things. You know what's going to surprise us? One of the things that will surprise us in heaven is all the wretched people that are going to be there. <laughs> I mean it. I mean it. Because his grace is so scandalous that even those who have lived these horrible lives and still decide to throw themselves at his feet before they, d- still give, it, Lord, I'm so sorry, still pour themselves out in repentance. Like, he's that merciful. Yeah, it really, it's scandalous. So that's really true, you know? But that's not what the parable's about. <laughs> How do I know? Well, oh, so first of all, it's just, it's, nothing in this parable has anything to do with sin and repentance and forgiveness. Nothing. There's nothing in here. All we have, we have a, we have a we have a very, you know, bland work story. It's like, it's like an accounting, accounting issue. You know, people are sending memos back and forth. What's up? What's up with the five o'clock workers getting the same? What's the deal? Right? That's what we have. Nobody did anything wrong here. Everyone fulfilled their obligation. And then one group gets a little miffed at the end. Of the end. That's it. Okay? This has nothing to do with sin and forgiveness. Although it's true what we just said about God having lots of that. I might sort of think of this almost like a prodigal son story, right? Like, uh, God shows forgiveness in the end, even though he wasted all this time, even though these guys, they didn't even start working until the fifth, God is still that good and just like the father, he runs and scoops him up. But there's no prodigals in this story. So who do they represent, these these 5 o'clock workers, these 11th hour workers? Well, we have to give a little context, as we do all the time, especially when we're reading these parables. What is going on in this discussion? Why does Jesus suddenly tell this story? Well, a few things happen uh, in the the previous chapter. The first is that Jesus is teaching and all these kids start making noise. Now, this morning, this morning, in our 9 a.m. service, we're standing, I'm standing over here and I'm looking over in this corner and I see these boys dancing during worship, and they are doing the floss. (laughs) It was the coolest thing ever. I'm like, our kids are doing the floss to worship songs. Tyler, can you come up here real quick? (laughs) Tyler, these people, because not everybody has little kids, Um, and uh, um, you need to demonstrate what the floss, you don't have little kids either, that I know of, um, so why don't you go ahead. Kayla's saying no, are we sure about that, okay. I thought maybe we'd have a breaking news moment or something, okay. So, Tyler, what, can you show us what the floss is? You start it slowly, you start it so good, good, okay. All right, look at that, nice. Okay, let's speed it up. It might seem crazy so good. He plays, look at that. Andrew the sound man, ladies and gentlemen, along with Tyler Roberts. My boys do that dance all the time, like constantly. And so these boys are over there doing this thing, and I'm watching this. I'm like, I, I had a little like, I had this moment. I love, all, we have such good, dear relationships with all these pastors around. And I love these church. But I was like, I love our church. Our kids feel so comfortable dancing in worship, they can do the fly. People have said, like, I don't know, it's a little messy. Like, kids are, like, jumping around dancing. It's kind of loud. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) kind of. Because, like, look, sometimes I'm sure it goes a little, you know, a little crazy. And so we try to put a hands, you know, make sure that doesn't happen. But I'll tell you what. I'd rather err on that end, on the messy end, than the other end. (laughs) So, all right. I'm glad you guys are with me. So, so if you're used to being real quiet and like things being just like, mm, somber, you, we're going to really disappoint you. I will probably disappoint you anyway because that just always happens, but we're really going to disappoint you because we got a lot of children here and, and I, I would rather err that way because Jesus said, let them come. Okay? So that's, he just gets done with this, let them come, let the children come. And this is the kingdom of heaven belongs to children. He also says, you have to become like a child if you want to enter the kingdom, okay? So he blesses the children, that was kind of a very upside down thing to do, okay? Now right after that moment, um, this rich young ruler comes and has this discussion with Jesus, what do I have to do to, do, to inherit eternal life? So him and Jesus have this conversation, they're talking about the law, and he's kept the law, and he's done all of these great things. And Jesus says, good, so sell all you have, give to the poor, and follow me. And he's meaning like literally, join James and John and the rest and Peter, follow me, become one of my, and he, and he, he won't do it. Now, this is a very upside down thing to do. Because normally when you have wealth and power, boom, you're going to be at the top. And Jesus says, no, I actually want you to step away from that. And he won't do it. The third thing that happens is Peter, who's standing right there, is like, what about us, Lord? Because we actually did that. (laughs) That guy didn't do it. We actually did. And he says, yeah, you are going to be blessed. In fact, you will be rewarded in this life and in the next because... The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. He says that, and then he tells the parable, okay? So basically, what we have before the story of the workers in the vineyard is three instances of, of the Lord taking the, the value system of the day and turning it on its head, okay? Kids, to be seen and not heard. No, not here. He elevates children. And then those who are on top and at the top of life and all these things, he says, yeah, but I actually want you to empty yourself. And then those who have, who have given everything, he says, you're actually gonna be honored. This is the kingdom of God where you lose your life in order to find it. This is the kingdom of God where you serve in order to be the greatest. Do you see that? This kingdom is wonky, as Janae would say. It's a wonky kingdom. This is upside down. And he says, and then he tells, he tells this, this parable. So, the 11th hour workers, they are not, again, they're not prodigals, but they are those who have been considered last. Because he, he says it again in the end, the last will be first, the first shall be last. So he's got that statement. That's what the parable's about. So, how is it that these 11th hour workers were considered last and now elevated? Well, let's, let's uh, uh, um, look at them. They, they have been... Have they done anything wrong? Well, it doesn't, doesn't seem so at all. It seems that they simply weren't picked. They were neglected. They were forgotten. That's it. They were, and then they get elevated. The last shall be first. Why were they in the marketplace? The master asks them, why were you still, it's five o'clock. Why are you still there? And maybe, <laughs> you read that, you're expecting like something of like, well, we didn't get here till just now. <laughs> I slept in, sorry I was partying last night and you're like no there's grace for you brother you can turn and repent from those partying ways and come back and come to the vineyard the Jesus vineyard, right I'm moving on so I'm mixing everything together no that's not what he says why are you guys still here? and they say because we didn't get picked as simple as that it was no fault of their own in other words actually if you think about it you gotta hand it to these guys they're still there Truck has kept coming by and it's picked everyone except for them. And they're still there. They're thinking, maybe we can do something for this. this isn't the, you, you can't just, you know, jump on the help wanted signs. This is like these guys are doing everything they could do in their society to get work. And they couldn't get it. So, nobody picked them. So the owner, then, he doesn't just pay them you know, like, he doesn't even really pay them the same, if you think about it. Think about the rates here, 6 a.m. workers, let's just, let's call it 120 bucks for that 12 hours, okay? Like, uh, the, you know, 10 bucks an hour those 6 a.m. workers are getting, okay? The 11th hour workers are getting 120 bucks an hour. <laughs> that's what they just made. You can see why these guys are a little upset, even though that's what they agreed upon. Okay? Like how are you just elevated? You gave them way more money. You have a way higher rate than the rest of us. What is the deal? Well, and I think that's the point of the parable. The last will be first. You see, they were last. And so I'm going to elevate them. I'm going to make them first. It's really as simple as that. You see, God grants special grace, not only to sinners, but also to victims of injustice. Pharisees begrudge both graces. Let that sink in for a second. God grants special grace, not only to sinners like we see in the prodigal story, but also to victims of injustice or just unfortunate things happening to a person, right? The Pharisee, a Pharisee rege- or begrudges both of those things. You can see it with the older brother and the prodigal son, like, "What in the world? Why in the world are you elevating the sky? You can see it with the, with the first hour workers. Why are you elevating these guys? And he says, because the, the last will be first. The first will be last. So, what about you? Does that bother you? Does that tweak with you just a little bit? That Jesus might have special honor for those who haven't been picked? Because it seems that he does. It seems that he, he sees those who have been abandoned, those who have been downtrodden, those who have had bad things happen to them and he wants to honor them and he wants to to pay special attention to them. So what do we do as kingdom people? We start doing that now. Here's the thing about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, you know, Jesus came and said, this is the way it's going to be and one day it'll all be right like it'll all be good it'll all be perfect and so these 11th hour guys are elevated etc there's so many things about the kingdom that when it's comes to its fruition for example there's going to be no more sickness and no more tears you see that but today there's still a lot of sickness and tears so how do we as kingdom people work in what, what what do we do well we we pursue that wholeness that is coming We move toward that. We lean into that thing that's not yet completed. That's why the work of doctors and nurses, that is kingdom work right there. Because they're they're moving toward that restoration. There's all kinds of stuff. Are you with me? Moving toward that thing that's not yet complete, but one day will be. So if this is important to Jesus, and I say this surprised me because I was so thinking about it in terms of salvation, but it's really not what it's about. It's about his care for the lowly. That's what it's about. Jesus cares a whole lot for the lowly. In fact, there are others who might get a bigger reward than I do because they've had it harder. And am I gonna begrudge him his generosity? So if that's the case, if he really does care about that, then it's my job now in this life to elevate them as well. Right now. To not wait for the fullness of the kingdom. But because my citizenship is in heaven, see, I move toward that. Are you with me? So, One of the greatest examples of this is this woman. Yeah. Mother Teresa was one of the most incredible women. I just read a a book about her called Something Beautiful for God by Malcolm Muggeridge, which is just absolutely wonderful. She uh, lived, of course, in Calcutta, and she saw all the death around her and all the disease. And it was happening among the lower classes. And those many people have called like the untouchables. And so these, these, they were just just lying out on the sidewalks dying. And people didn't care for them because they were just the lower classes. And that just all just sort of fit in with the, the, this whole other world view. And it's that we just, they're, they're not worth anything. And she says, oh, yes, they are. They're made in the image of God. And I will not let this happen. So she begins to take them in and care for them even as they're dying thousands and thousands, and all these other sisters join her. And then uh, uh, they, they open up the missionaries of charity, and they care for these people. They nurse them back to health. They drop uh, babies and, and, and th- that are dropped off, and she cares for them. And, and so many die, but she keeps on caring and loving like crazy. And now she is the example of, uh, like the gold star example of, of, of what it means to care for the least of these Here's what she said. The biggest disease today is not leprosy or tuberculosis, but rather the feeling of being unwanted, uncared for, and deserted by everybody. Wow. The greatest evil is a lack of love and charity, the terrible indifference toward one's neighbor who lives at the roadside assaulted by exploitation, corruption, poverty, and disease. That's Mother Teresa. She didn't just notice those things. She dedicated her life to caring for souls that were unwanted, caring for the last picked, shall we say. And there are many people, guys, in our society today who are poor, downtrodden, and destitute through no fault of their own. I know people have made bad decisions too. (laughs) This is, it's not one-dimensional. There are a lot of people out there in really hard, difficult situations because bad things happen to them. Maybe they've been born to drug-addicted parents. Maybe they've been targeted unjustly by authority figures like school teachers, police officers. Maybe they've lost their job because of an injury. Maybe they've been harassed by government agencies and forced out of business. Whatever it is, Jesus is speaking clearly in this parable. The kingdom of God is different than our kingdom. And the kingdom of God, the last will be first. That means that these people are not forgotten. Victims of drug abuse, racial discrimination, unjust accusations, governmental harassment, all of these things that exist around us. God sees all of it, and in his kingdoms, fortunes will be reversed. Those who have been stepped on will be elevated. You guys, as I think about this, this will be no surprise to you, but the thing that jumps to my mind and my heart more than any other is is those with disabilities. Because throughout history... Throughout history, it's not been like it is today. And even today, it isn't great. But, you know, just 50 years ago, if you had a child with severe autism or Down syndrome or whatever, many times the suggestion would be to put them in an institution and let people care for them or not care for them. There have been many societies when they've just been cast off completely and done away with. God sees every one of those. If you don't mind... I feel super weird about doing this, but I'm going to read a portion of my book. Is that okay? All right. Um, I have like a hundred disclaimers time I do this because I'm like, oh, I feel so silly. I'm not trying to promote, I promise, but I just said this and I really, okay, whatever. All right, it's a few pages here, but hang with me, okay? What in this realm can satisfy our universal thirst for health and wholeness? We simply cannot find it. Not amid volcanoes and cancers, blizzards and bereavements, cold-blooded cruelty and violent indifference. Here we find rejection that leads to addiction and shame that leads to suicide. Here we find a hundred million hungry orphans who have never tasted trust. Our world is a war zone of wills, a whirlwind of sickness, a collision of selfish lusts. We find many things here, but perfect wholeness is not among them. And yet the longing persists no matter how hard we try to smother it. I felt it again that night at the mere mention of breakthrough, and it brought me to my knees. You felt it too. The longing throbs when you pass the graveyard, and it blares under the flashing light of the ambulance. You've even felt it in the regret that comes after a moment of swift selfishness. It's not supposed to be this way, the longing says. It was never supposed to be this way. Sickness is a trespasser. Sin and death are shadowy brigands who were never supposed to meet. The The harsh symptoms of severe autism were never invited here. Truly, we were made for another world where those invaders cannot go. And one day, the boundaries of this beautiful country will extend even to the land of unanswered prayer. On that day, the stubborn promise burning in our bones will finally be fulfilled. Not just my desires, but my son's desires too. My Jack will be free from all of his comorbid captors. No longer will he squeal and rage against his uncooperative limbs. No longer will panic seize him and toss him to the floor. His tongue will be unfrozen and his heart set free. Every sentiment he's ever wanted to share can finally come pouring out. Breakthrough, that's all I ever wanted. The man's prayer pushed me out of space and time. I didn't want to wait until Restoration Day to hear Jack's songs. I wanted to hear them right then, that night. I was weary of waiting. I am still weary of waiting. For now, Jack and I stand where you stand. We wait in God's kingdom which is at once already and not yet. Christ comes to us once, dying and rising, to inaugurate his rule when he has ascended He invited us to join in his his campaign of comforting the afflicted, healing the sick, and praying God's will be done. It is not done yet, but it will be. We walk toward that day as ambassadors, not only of Christ, but also of his unfinished kingdom. As followers of Jesus, we wear the badge of promise on our chest as the insignia of our true home and the promise of breakthrough. When my Canadian friend stood and prayed that night, he knew well the promise of Restoration Day. He also knew the odds of getting a miracle on that evening. Miracles rarely happen in this age, and still he asked. This is not only the mark of an ambassador, but also the mark of a son. This is what Christ calls us to do. Breakthrough didn't come that night for Jack. I didn't get my miracle. But the mere request reminded me that breakthrough was not fiction that prayer snapped my mind back to a truth I had, not long, I had long neglected. Jack's struggle will end one day. And on that day, he will receive double honor. Luke 13, people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Who does this apply to if not those with severe disabilities? Throughout history, they've been overlooked, abused, and derided. It would be bad enough if if it were just their own bodies that hurt them, but the culture does too. And every generation, they have lived life from the back of the line. They have been last, but on Restoration Day, the honor will be reversed. I try to imagine the scene. My Jack at the head of the banquet table, in full command of his faculties. He's telling jokes up there. Everyone's laughing. His face is full of delight and his friends are there too, real friends. I imagine, them calling, I imagine him calling the name of a boy three chairs down. They pound their fists together and begin to relive their adventures. I see him lean over to kiss his mother on the cheek and pin a flower on her blouse. It's blue, his favorite color. I see him raise up a song from a Disney movie and everyone joins in. And when it ends, he begins to tease his siblings about the quality of their singing. He is merciless, but none of them can stop laughing. And then he turns to me, gripping my shoulder. We lock eyes. They stay locked. He can see the tears welling up in mine, so he smiles. And he reminds me of a time he had been upset, but couldn't tell me why. At last, he can explain what was wrong. And I try to listen, because I want to know I really do. But all I can manage to th- is to think to myself... My son was lost, but now he's found. This is Restoration Day, and someday, someday that's going to happen. And someday all of those with these disabilities who 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 have not been able to express themselves and have been looked on as less than their entire life will be elevated to the head. And you know what? I'm so happy about that. So what do we do until then? We pursue that same goal. The best example of this is this man. You might have seen him in different videos. He's uh, just recently retired from running with his son. But his name is Dick Hoyt, and I'm going to let the video do the talking.
1: morning, Rick. How are you doing?
2: has two parts. First, our first race was to show someone who had an acquired disability that life goes on and he could lead a productive life. The second reason for running is to be an inspiration to others. You see, it gives me a great feeling inside to see other families run with their family member with a disability or for people without disabilities to push people who are
1: disabled and races? Rick was attending uh, a basketball game and they made an announcement that one of the cross players from the college was in an accident. He was paralyzed in the waist down. So they're gonna have a charity road race to try to help him raise some money so he could pay his medical bills. When Rick came home from that basketball game, and he said, Dad, I have to do something for him. I want to let him know that life goes on even though he's paralyzed. I want to run in the race. Well, at the time, I was 40 years old. I was not a runner, but we went down to the race and we finished the whole five miles coming in, next to last, but not last. When we got home that night, Rick wrote on his computer, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like my disability disappears which was a very powerful message to me. If you think about it, somebody can't talk, use their arms and their legs, and now they're out here running. The disability disappears.
2: We have finished 1,091 race events, in 34 years including, 252 triathlons, 6 of which are Ironman distances, 70 marathons including 30 Boston marathons, 94 half marathons, and 155 5k races.
1: When I first started running, I used to run for Rick, but now I'm out there running because we run together as a team. And it's got him in the best shape of his life, and it's got me in the best shape of my life that I've ever been in. You know, I'm 73 years old. Rick is 51 years old. He still can't talk, use his arms and his legs, but he's graduated from Boston University. He lives all by himself in his own apartment and I have competed in over 1,000 athletic events in the past 34 years. We are affecting people all over the world, and they're out competing because of us. The they're out there running. It's just amazing to us that it's happened. This coming year is going to be our 31st Boston Marathon, and there's going to be a life-size bronze statue of us at the starting line. From the doctor saying he's going to be nothing but a vegetable, now oh, he's going to be a rock statue.
2: It doesn't come any better than that. Team Hoyt. And we run for the people who think they can't run.
0: Yeah. We run for the people who think they can't run. I mean, like, this, this is the church. Like, this, this, is, this is what we're called to. We're called to, to come alongside and to elevate we're called to come alongside and inspire others to, to to move forward and to do great things. We're called to lift others up. The last will be first in the kingdom, and they're, they're gonna, there's a whole lot of last. They're going to be first here too because of the church. Because if we value what Jesus values, then we become His hands and we run just like that man. I want to be like that man. Don't you? I want to be like him. So that's what God's, that's what, that's what Jesus is teaching us. He's saying, accept my value system. Let's stand together.